Uh, good evening. Take a hymnal, if you would, and turn to hymn number 148. 148. There's within my heart a melody. He keeps me singing. Ready? There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still. In all of life's heaven Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. Is my every
Father, we just thank you for this day and the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. How marvelous and how wonderful your name is. Father, we ask that you bless the pastor as he brings us our message. Lord, bless the offering that may be used to continue to reach out to folks around the world to tell others about you. Lord, we just ask that you bless this service. And we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. video. 2019 marks a hundred years that Southern Baptist Offering for International Missions has been called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. You probably know that 100% of the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering goes directly overseas to support IMB missionaries serving around the world. 0% goes to overhead and administrative cost. Every penny goes directly to IMB missionaries to declare the majesty of Christ to a lost world. Inspired by a spirit of a gospel-driven partnership, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering is an effective initiative that God is using to extend His work in a world that desperately needs to hear that Christ died for the forgiveness of sin because of the mercy and grace of God. So why is the offering named after Lottie Moon? Well, simply put, she started it. Charlotte Lottie Diggs Moon was appointed as a missionary to China by the Foreign Mission Board, later known as IMB, at the age of 33. She spent a total of 39 years laboring for the cause of Christ in China. One of the key distinctives that made Lottie special was her ability to relate to two worlds, the Chinese world where she effectively ministered and the Western world where she inspired hearts and challenged her constituents through the persuasive power of her writing. In 1885, after serving in China for 12 years and at the age of 45, Lottie moved inland to the city of Pingtu so she could be a full-time evangelist, believing there was no greater joy than leading another to faith in Christ. She immediately saw the need for more full-time workers and began to communicate the needs to her constituents back home. On September 15, 1887, Lottie penned an open letter to Southern Baptist women pleading for more workers specifically asking that a week be set aside for prayer and for a special offering to be taken for new missionary appointments. Her letter was published in the Foreign Mission Journal the following December. 
A year later, in 1888, the Woman's Missionary Union was formed and a week in December was set aside for prayer and for offerings. The goal was $2,000, which would be enough to appoint two new female missionaries. In the end, more than $3,000 was given, resulting in the appointment of three new missionaries. Lottie Moon's letters were effective because she embodied the type of sacrifice that she called others to make. When severe famine hit China around 1912, she used her own money and belongings to provide for the needs of many. Giving all she had to ease the pain of others, Lottie died on Christmas Eve in 1912 at the age of 72 due to severe starvation. She lived a life of self-denying sacrifice. In 1919, the missions offering that Lottie Moon started in 1888 was named in her honor. Today, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering supports almost 3,700 missionaries serving around the world. In a letter written to Southern Baptist women, Moon expressed her theology of giving. Lottie writes these words, I wonder how many of us really believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. A woman who accepts that statement of our Lord Jesus Christ as a fact and not as impractical idealism will make giving a principle of her life. She will lay aside sacredly not less than one-tenth of her income of her earnings as the Lord's money, which she would no more dare to touch for personal use than she would to steal. How many there are among our women, alas, alas, who imagine that because Jesus paid it all, they need pay nothing, forgetting that the prime object of their salvation was that they should follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in bringing back a lost world to God and so aid in bringing the answer to the petition our Lord taught his disciples, thy kingdom come. We all need to hear this message. Jesus paid it all so that we could gain everything. Christ's death on the cross paid the penalty of sin so that those from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages can be reconciled to God and one day stand before his throne. And now as the redeemed children of God and his ambassadors to the world, we have been commanded to actively participate in Christ's great commission work. Christ made the ultimate sacrifice to accomplish the work of God. We are to follow his example and surrender all that we are for his glory and praise. Lottie Moon isn't the name of a clever marketing campaign. It marks the legacy of a giant who followed Christ with full surrender and championed others to do the same. We have already given $12,700 to Lottie Moon this Christmas season. Last year we gave $13,600, so we're about $900 away from our, our exceeding last year's uh, goal for that, or, or where we what came in. Our goal is $15,000. So. Um, we can certainly reach that. It's exciting to see what our Southern Baptist missionaries do overseas. When we give to missions, it's going to support and help people who were just called out of the pew, who said, I'm willing and I won't, and I've been called to go. So that's exciting to hear what our mission board is up to. It's certainly encouraging to, uh, certainly to know that. If you have your Bible, open up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, 9. Acts 9, 19. So we're going to be in 
Acts 9.19b, that's the second part of verse 19, and we will go through verse 43. I love Sunday night. Uh, Sunday night is uh, expository sermons, meaning that we're going through a book of the Bible. One of my favorite books of the Bible, my two favorite books, my favorite book of the Bible is the book of Luke. Dr. Luke also wrote the uh, Acts of the Apostles here, so uh, I guess this could be my second favorite book of the Bible. And the reason why is we see a small band of believers, 120 of them, and God just ignites and sets them on fire and by the end of this book, we see a worldwide religion emerging that has emerged all by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And today's certainly very important with that. What's about to happen? And by the way, if you have your bulletin, you want to pull out your bulletin insert. Um, you can run back there and grab one. That way you can see. Uh, the title of this is called Church on Fire, this whole theme, because what's happening is literally the church is just on fire for Jesus. There should be an excitement for us for following and serving the Lord. What we see here, what just happened at the first part of this uh, chapter 9 here, is Saul, a young man named Saul. He was someone who was going to Damascus, which is in current day Syria. He was going there to arrest Christians. The man was opposed. He was, he, was, um, he was a Roman citizen, but he was educated in Jewish life. And he was someone, he was a, a Jewish Roman citizen who was uh, probably a, a member of the uh, Pharisees. He was incredibly smart. And he was going there to stamp out this new movement called, back then it was called The Way. It was just followers of Jesus. And he was going there to stop that. And while he was going there, Jesus himself appeared to Saul, blinded him for three days, and he, get, he, he got saved, and he, was, he immediately followed in baptism. I mentioned it at the 9 o'clock service this morning. Every single person in the book of Acts that has trusted in Christ, immediately they were baptized. And Saul was certainly one of them. They followed Christ, they became believers, and they immediately followed the Lord. They didn't, there was no delay in that. So what we're about to pick up, the reason why this is so important is because discipleship is the process. And I'll tell you, the beginning of the year is the best time. Discipleship is the process. It's the grind of growing closer to Jesus. I mean, even this, this sermon here, I wrote this at a Starbucks in Vestavia Hills, Alabama. What was that on like? Three days, two days after Christmas, the 27th, 28th of December. And you think, preacher, why are you writing this so early? It's the grind. I had someone tell me that the best preachers and the best Sunday school teachers and the best leaders in a church, when you get home from church on a Sunday afternoon, you're on the clock. For next week. What that means is, next Sunday, if you're teaching Sunday school, you need to start looking in your Sunday school book and start preparing your lesson. You're teaching a message on Wednesday night. You've got two sermons on Sunday morning. That is constant discipleship. You're constantly in the Word of God. There is no break. You do not stop or take a pause. And that's what we're about to see here. 
the reason Saul was the greatest missionary in the history of Christianity is because this man was diligent in studying and diligent in being passionate for the Lord. And we want that to spill over into our own lives. People should know. Do you know, I tell you, Americans are killing ourselves with entertainment. Listen, I love Disney World. It was fun, these amusement parks. Sports, NFL football, Kentucky basketball, it's a blast. But it, will, it literally, it's almost like it's a tool of the devil to keep you preoccupied with anything else than Jesus Christ. What ride, preparing for your trip, getting excited about the game, watching the newest football game. I mean, you just baseball, whatever sports season it is, it's 24-7. The devil has devised a scheme to keep Americans so preoccupied and busy that we don't even think about the Lord. You can't even do it. You're thinking literally, what's next? What's the next show? What's the next movie? What, what could I be missing on the internet? What's, what could... And the, God is looking at us and saying and asking us, what is more important than me? So as we read these scriptures here, and you think about Saul, how did this man become like this? It's because he was in Damascus being discipled. He's a new believer. He already had a Jewish background as well as a Roman background. So the man knew his, he knew cultural backgrounds. He knew his Old Testament. But now he's being introduced to what it means to be a follower of Christ. So follow along here in the Bible. Acts chapter 9, verse 19. It goes on to say here, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. That means he didn't pick up his Bible after a week and say, all right, I'm now going to be a preacher. Basically, he stayed with the believers and he learned from them. I want to tell you, the greatest challenge we have today is getting young people to even listen to you. Where are they? Saul, he decides, you know, I need to grow and mature in my faith. So he stayed with the other mature believers. So that's where we're at right now. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. And look at his message. His message is, he is the Son of God. This is important because what happened is he realized I don't need to wait. I can immediately start sharing about Christ. Now, he might not know everything, and he might not have honed his skill at that point, but the message was the same. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And not only that, he also knew the people he was talking to, they had a Jewish background. So the message, the stumbling block for all Jews, was that they were waiting for the Messiah. They had rejected Jesus as Messiah. And here is Saul at this point, coming along there in Damascus saying, the Messiah is Jesus. And he's going to search the scriptures and show them that. Verse 21, all who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem 
who is causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? Like the man that had the reputation of arresting and causing havoc on the church is now completely changed. And now he's the one winning people to the Lord. This reminds us that Christ is able to change anyone. No matter if you have a family member or you know someone that is very far from God or they have a hard heart, Jesus Christ can break through. So how does he do it? We pray for folks. We trust the Lord can do a breakthrough. So that's what's going on here. Goes on to say, the key Bible verse here in verse 22. This is important because we want to ask the question, how is Saul doing this? Verse 22 says, But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And that verse, you go back to verse 22 there. Look at, look at that word that was used. But Saul grew stronger. I think in my Bible it says, but Saul, or it says he, it is growing. He's not growing stronger. He grew stronger in that. That phrase there, grow stronger, what does that mean? How do we grow stronger? You go stronger by being here. You go stronger by being diligent and intentional in your walk with God. Christ expects us to grow stronger. This year, you should be able to look back. Are you a stronger year? Are you a stronger believer now at the end of 2019, if you go back five days, than you were at the beginning of 2019? I mean, it's one year, 365 days. Have you grown in your faith? Saul was intentional. He wanted to grow. And what that meant, not only that he was growing in his faith, he was developing his skill. Meaning, he, the way he was winning people to the Lord is back in Bible times, it wasn't a setting such as this. It would have been more of a town hall, apologetic debate. You'd go in there and you'd have people sitting there saying what they believe, reading their statements. And it's, it's, it'd be kind of like, a, you know, we have Fox News and CNN, but we're just sitting there consuming it. It's like Fox News, but live. Everybody's over there just share, sharing whatever they believe and you go give your opinion. Probably a lot of arguing was going on, a lot of debating, probably even some fighting. I mean, you, you know, people, they lost their temper. They, they went after folks. But that's their, that was their uh, setting. We know that because when he goes into Greece at the area of Pegasus, that's what they did. They sat around talking about ideas. A lot of them were useless ideas, but it's just kind of like sitting around shooting the breeze. But that was very, that prominent people did that back then. So that's what happens here. The religious leaders are being put down because Saul is incredibly knowledgeable of the scriptures. And it says he's proving 
that Jesus is the Messiah. And the way he's doing that is he knew his Bible. He knew what he was talking about. The man, man was able to show folks from the Old Testament how Jesus fulfilled this passage, and therefore that leads and points to him being um, the Messiah. So keep going here in your Bible. So he's doing this. So this is what, this is what happens when you're not able to um, defeat someone. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. And that solves all your problems right there. When things don't go well, what do you do? You say, well, let's just kill the guy. All he's doing is putting us to shame, so we'll end his life. So, but look what happens here. But Saul, he learned of their plot. God allowed Saul to find out about this. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. They knew at one point he was going to leave the gates of Damascus. And when he left the gates, we could trap him and then execute him. But his disciples took him by night. And notice at this point, because Saul has already been growing in his faith, Saul already has his own disciples. He has discipled so, he has grown so much in the faith, he's got people following him. But his disciples, remember what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower. Took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. If you remember Rahab in the book of Joshua, remember the, the Joshua, were, was, they were spies, they were going in there. And Caleb, and they were looking around. And what happened is the folks there in Jericho became suspicious. They think, who are these guys? Rahab was a prostitute, so a variety of men going into Rahab's house would not be suspicious because they knew her reputation. So, but still they, were, they looked at Joshua and Caleb and they're, they're worried. The, the, the folks there, the men of Jericho. So they want to find out more. They've spies watching, um, watching Joshua and Caleb. So what happens is Rahab lets them out over the wall. She lets them down a basket, down a rope. So they can escape. And her life was saved from that. Probably Paul got the same idea. They realized, hey, this is how God allowed Joshua and Caleb and the spies to escape. Well, Saul is the same way. He's lowered out a back entrance and runs away and gets out of town so he's not executed. He knew his Bible. And he knew how God allowed Joshua and Caleb to escape. So he's doing the same. So look what happens here. Verse 26. The Bible continues with this story. When he arrived in Jerusalem, now remember that when, when Saul left Jerusalem, he went up north to Damascus. He left Jerusalem for the purpose of killing folks. But now he's coming back to Jerusalem. He left with letters receiving permission to arrest folks and bring them back, probably for execution. Unless they confessed. So when he got back, when he arrived at Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. So he's knocking on the door, and he's like, I'm Saul, I'm now a disciple. And the early church 
is thinking, no, we, we, don't, we don't believe you. We're skeptical. So these disciples, this is like Peter, this is John. You know, they're unnamed right here, but these were key leaders that did not believe that Saul had become a disciple. But look at this. This is why we all need a Barnabas in our life. Look at verse 27. It says, Barnabas, however, do you know Barnabas' name means son of encouragement? You know, Barnabas was one of these guys that when everybody else has given up on folks, he has a compassionate, empathetic heart. He's the guy that, you know, he sees when folks are hurting, when folks are in the hospital, when folks are down and out, he stops and talks to them. I will never forget, and I think I even mentioned this on a Wednesday night. One time, I, um, a former church, we had this guy come. We had the men's ministry breakfast, and we invited what we called hometown heroes to come speak. And it was wildly successful. Well, and one of the guys that came and spoke, he was a local football coach at one of the area high schools. Well, he came, but what happened was he had developed Lou, it was Lou Gehrig's disease. And this guy was, at one point in his life, a big, strong man. I mean, just a powerful, you know, he-man, mighty guy. Well, now he was, had Lou Gehrig's disease, and he was confound to a wheelchair. And he would coach and he coached the team to the state championship from his wheelchair. And he was someone, he was a believer, he went to a local Baptist church, and he also go around and he would speak at different churches. Well, he made a statement, I remember, because I stayed afterwards, and he wrote a book, just a sharp guy, and a godly man, and he was only given a few years to live, and he's exceeded that, and God's just blessed him. His condition got so bad, he wasn't able to coach anymore. He couldn't even, he didn't have the energy to go to practice or games, so he had to retire real early from that. But he did what he could. And he made a statement. He was talking to all the guys there. He says, men, I want you to know something. You see me, I'm here in a wheelchair. But he was up on a stage talking to all the guys. And we had a big crowd because everybody knew this fellow from, kids from the high school came. And he says, you know, past couple years I've been in a wheelchair. And when I'm at the school, people know who I am. They speak to me. But when I go out in the community, when I go into places that people don't know who I am, I'm invisible. When you're in a wheelchair, people don't acknowledge you. And he was basically encouraging us as men. He says, when you see someone that's maybe struggling, or maybe they're in a chair, stop, get down on your knees, get eye level with them, and acknowledge them. Be an encourager. Don't be that person that all of a sudden, you just like everybody else, you pass over them, thinking, oh, they're in the way. They're human, God loves them, acknowledge them too. And I never forgot that. When I think of Barnabas, that's what he is. Barnabas is that guy. His name means the encourager. He doesn't overlook people. When everyone else has wrote off Saul. I mean, think about it. They're not even going to let Saul in. They're saying, go away. We don't even know. We don't want you here. You scram. Get out, get out of town. We don't believe you. 
They thought it was a trick to arrest all of them. That's what Saul was doing. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles. So that means they had to meet somewhere else in the city and said, hey, I'll give you a chance. And he brings them to the apostles and he explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him. And look at this. And how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Like God appeared to this man, transformed him, and God's now he's one of us. It took a Barnabas to help Saul break through to the main church there in Jerusalem with the other disciples. And a lot of times in our life, we also, we're surrounded and we're in great need of Barnabases. What's neat about this is, you look at Saul. Saul is a witness. Saul is the soul winner. Saul is the out front guy. He's the guy that goes on the platform. He's the guy that goes and that he's got the public relations, the PR. But Saul had to have a Barnabas. Barnabas is that behind the scenes guy. He's the man that comes up and speaks to him and makes him feel welcome. He's the guy that comes along and says, hey, I'm so glad you're here today. It's good to meet you. Are you a Saul or are you a Barnabas? Because both the roles are incredibly important. Keep going here in your Bibles here. Verse 28. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So here he's now in Jerusalem doing the same thing. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Now, we're not going to turn back there. This is interesting. So he was already up in Damascus. And he was going probably to the synagogue with a meeting place there. And he's teaching about the Lord and they're trying to kill him. Now he's in Jerusalem and they're doing the same. They're trying to kill him. So he's already been on death road now twice. What's incredible about this, and we don't have time to turn there, but back in Acts 6-9, it's an important Bible verse. Because there was a man named Stephen. Stephen did something that inspired Saul. Stephen was the first deacon. He's also the first martyr. Stephen, he stood in front of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had also Hellenistic Jews. That means they were Greek-speaking Jews. They were Hebraic Jews. These were Jews that spoke Hebrew. Then they were what they call Hellenistic Jews that spoke Greek. Saul was from an area called Tarsus. Tarsus is in current-day Turkey. It's in the Asia Minor region of the Bible. That's a Greek-speaking area. So Saul would be in the Greek-speaking section of, the, of Judaism. And that was the more populated one. Because these were, these were Jews, maybe they were Roman citizen Jews in other parts of the world. Like, like Saul was there. He was, he was a Roman citizen in Tarsus, but he was also Jewish. He was a Hellenistic Jew. And what happened here is... 
Stephen was on trial in front of these people. But who was the one who was watching everybody's coats when Stephen stood in front of the Sanhedrin and preached Jesus to him? It was Saul. This same group here in group 29, in verse 29, the Sanhedrin is the one that sent Saul up north to Damascus to arrest all the believers. Now, don't follow me on this. Now Saul is back from Damascus, reporting back to the same group that commissioned him, and he's leading them to Christ. Let me illustrate this. Let's say, you know, there's a mosque here in Lexington. I've seen it. It's like an Islamic meeting uh, facility. I've seen it down uh, on uh, Limestone Street. Let's say the local Muslim mosque decides, you know what, we're going to send a missionary into the Broadway Baptist Church uh, community. You know, we're going to uh, send some people up here. They're going to start coming into the building here and start telling folks about Muhammad among folks here on Sunday mornings, on Sunday school, Sunday nights. When it's like, you just notice this gentleman, he's going around passing out literature about Islam at, the, at our church. And, and what happened is we confront them and say, Sir, you know, you're, you're here and you're passing out materials for something we don't believe in. And then he says, well, my local mosque down Limestone Street, they are aware that you believe only Jesus is the way to God, and I'm here to show you of what we believe. So that guy, we lead him to Christ. We share the gospel with him. He prays and receives Jesus as his Savior. And then... He becomes a born-again believer. He gets baptized while he's here. Well, then he realizes, do you know, I have all these friends who are Muslim, and I've been up the road here at Broadway, but I feel called, I need to go back to that Islamic mosque, that meeting house down there on Limestone, and witness to them. So he, he, after a few weeks, he gets discipled. He comes to Sunday school. He comes to church on Wednesday night. He's growing in the Lord. After a couple of months, he decides, I'm going to go back to those folks there on Limestone Street here in Lexington, and I'm going to go talk to them about the Lord, because I'm now a believer. Even though they sent me here on a special mission, I'm going to go back to them and let them know that they're wrong. So he walks in the door and says, hey guys, and they recognize, hey, we haven't seen you in a while. Well, how'd it go up there Broadway? Well, he walks in and he starts witnessing to him about Jesus. And he starts pointing the scriptures to all his Muslim friends and saying, this is what I now believe. You need to become a follower. So those folks look at him and think, wait a minute. Didn't we just commission him to lead the Christians to Islam? Now he's become a Christian and he's trying to lead us to Christianity. That is what's happening here. Saul is in front, in verse 22, 29, he's in front of the same group that had commissioned him to lead people away from Jesus and arrest them. And now he's witnessing to them 
What a change. Saul is not embarrassed or ashamed of his faith. He has a boldness. And what's powerful about this is he also knew the authority. Because who did this group kill, these Hellenistic Jews, the Sanhedrin? They had just killed Stephen, the first deacon. And Saul was right there giving approval of it. So he knew the consequences. If I go speak boldly to these folks, they are likely to stone me. That's the passion we see from this man. It says in verse 29, they tried to kill him. But the brothers found out and they took him down to Caesarea. So he had to get out of Jerusalem. Caesarea is next to the ocean. They took him to Caesarea. And look what he did here. In Caesarea, and sent him off to Tarsus. Now that's important that he went to Tarsus. Do you know who's from Tarsus? Saul is. Saul went up to Tarsus in current day Turkey. And he's been sent up there. Now look what happens. What's amazing about this story is a total transformation of a man who was, went from Damascus. They were trying to kill him. They went down to Jerusalem. He's now witnessing to the same people that had commissioned him to go arrest believers. He had to get out of town there because they were trying to kill him. He runs down to Caesarea, hops on a ship. That's a Roman port city and sails up to Tarsus, his hometown. And now he's, the mission is going to continue. Look what happens here in verse 31. Verse 31. This is an important Bible verse. God's plan for Broadway Baptist Church is to grow. God's purpose for this church is to see folks walk this aisle. God wants every time you come here, we should have new people visiting this service. You should come to Sunday school. You should be seeing new faces. If you see somebody new in the pew, what should you do? You should invite them to your class. Constantly, God brings people to church for the purpose of them hearing the gospel preached. Now look at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. What that means it was strengthened, that means it was growing. The number of believers were increasing. This church should be no different. A healthy church is a growing church. We should be growing in our offerings. We should be growing in the number of deacons. You should constantly see a pipeline of new leaders coming up. We should be growing in young men being discipled by older men. We should see people pouring their lives into, uh, into new faces. And not only that, we should be growing by our sending capacity. Our church needs to get more missional. We're good at giving. But our next step is going. Some of us are able to go and get more involved in missions. That's spiritual growth. I want to tell you, I was down at Disney World. Y'all know this. I'll quit talking about it next week. Every nation was there. That is the most diverse place on earth. You walk in, they've got every language in the world on the wall. 
If you name a country, I'm standing in line. This is no joke. At this ride called Land of the Living, Land with the Living at Epcot. And my dad, we're talking about how expensive my parents went to. And we're talking about how expensive. I mean, a Coke's $14. <laughs> it's outrageous. Now you'll get a souvenir. Mickey, no, the souvenir cup's 24 Would you pay $24 for a Mickey Mouse cup with Diet Coke in it? Anyway, well, that's a souvenir cup. And we didn't do that, by the way. Sherry put the brakes on that one. She said, there's no way we're paying $24 for a souvenir. It's a take-home cup with that. We're, my dad's sitting there saying, well, this... He flew through the airport one time in Switzerland. And he's saying, this is the most expensive place. It's almost expensive as Switzerland. This is no joke. The lady in front of us in that line turns around and goes, we're from Switzerland. It is expensive there. Every country at that place, at Mickey Mouse Land, is represented. God is bringing the nations to America. Listen, missions, guys, it starts here at home. We don't, yes, we need to support our international missionaries and absolutely give to Lottie Moon, but the lostness, the diversity, the nations are here in Lexington. You do not have to go far. We should look around at these pews and see the nations represented. And when we go through this book, we're going to see how the gospel, the gospel just continues to advance because it's soon going to go to the Gentiles and all the nations are going to turn to the Lord. Jesus died not just for Americans. He died for everyone. And that is a message we have to take, take to. All right, keep going here. Look at this. They, had, they were, had this peace and they were strengthened. Look at this. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Look at this. What happens when you live in the fear of the Lord and you're encouraged by the Holy Spirit? Look what it says. It increased in numbers. God's plan is for you and I and our church and the ministries of our church to be soul winners. Meaning we point people to the Lord. I want to give to a church that's doing missions. I want to be a part of a church. I want a pastor of a church that's reaching our neighborhood in the nations for Jesus. We want to raise children in church that constantly see and lives being changed. Section two now. All right, now we're about to shift here. Last section we're going to look at. Verse 32. Back to Peter. If you remember Peter, we left off with him. We haven't heard from him since Acts 6-2. And the reason why, they had just selected the new deacons. And Stephen was one of them. They're selecting the deacons, the, the twelve, the disciples. And now it shifted for, to Stephen and then to Saul. And now we're going back to Peter. What's about to happen is Peter started out the book of Acts as the leader of the church. But then he shifts to not being the leader and really, Saul, who becomes Paul, becomes the leader. And the rest of the book, after Peter here, it continues on with Paul. And I want to tell you why. Peter struggled with something. Peter was very Jewish. He had a strong Jewish identity. And next, next Sunday night, 
one week from tonight, we're going to see how God basically had to scold Peter because he would rather follow his Jewish customs and laws than listen to the Lord. And that's where what happens here is the gospel is going to go out to the Gentiles. But these two events are going to happen leading up to this. And these two healings are important because we're seeing how God is continuing to work through the church. Peter is in Jerusalem, and he's the leader of the church there. Verse 32, so we're shifting. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydia. Lydia is about halfway to the coast. It's in the plain of Sharon, which is just a valley area headed to the Mediterranean. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and been bedridden for eight years. So Aeneas here, he's paralyzed. They might not have had wheelchairs back then, so the man's laying in a bed. Eight years he's been suffering. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. It's important that he made his bed. Also, when Jesus came out of the tomb, if you remember, Jesus came out of the tomb there, and it says that when Peter entered into the tomb, that he noticed that the grave cloth was folded up. So when Jesus first was resurrected, first thing he do is he folded up his grave cloth and laid it down. That's why we make our beds. Even first thing in the morning, if Jesus can rise, first thing he does is fold up his grave cloth. He, Peter looks at Aeneas and says, you get up from your healing, it's now time to make your bed. So there's always time to make your bed. And I'll explain why Jesus' grave cloth was folded. Because a grave robber wouldn't have done that. If a grave robber would have stolen the body, no robber doesn't sit there and fold the clothes and put it back neatly. They would have left the clothes on the ground and run out the door. But here, Peter is saying, get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all the people who lived in Lydia and shared saw him and turned to the Lord. Folks start getting saved. So now Peter has been encouraged by Saul and he's continuing doing the ministry of the Lord's work. And what's happening is he's working his way to a city called Joppa on the coast, which is very close to current day Tel Aviv. Verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. So now we're on the coast. He's working his way there. Which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. So a believer died here in Joppa. Joppa is also the area that Jonah, and in in where he was boarding a boat to leave, to not follow the Lord and go the opposite way. It was there in Joppa that he got swallowed by a well. So what happened here is, after washing her, they placed her in the room upstairs. So this lady named Dorcas just died. But they don't bury her because they know Peter. They've heard about the powers that the Holy Spirit's working through this man. And he's in town. So they think, we don't even bury her. So they're expecting a miracle. So look what happens. After 
or verse 38, Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, Don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went in and went with them. When he arrived, he led him to a room upstairs. All the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and he got that because when, if you remember, when Jesus healed the little girl who was 12 years old, Jairus' daughter, he sent everybody out of the room. And he said, oh, she's only asleep. But they laughed at Jesus. They said, y'all just get out. We don't want you. You don't need to see this. Notice the healing was about, not about a show. The healing was about the miracle that God was going to do. And it says here, he knelt down, he prayed, and he turned toward the body and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and saw Peter and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This woman is now, who was once dead, she's alive. God has done a great miracle here. This became known throughout Joppa. And look at this. And many believed in the Lord. Folks got saved from this healing. Peter stayed for a, some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. Now, something's about to happen. This is a transition because something powerful is happening at the next chapter. God brought Peter to Joppa for the purpose of raising Dorcas, also known as Tabitha, from the dead. And many folks got saved. The gospel is increasing. So while he's there, he stayed with a leather tanner. Now that's interesting. In the book of Leviticus, we don't need to turn there, but it's on your handout there at the bottom. Very last thing. Last little bullet point says in your handout. Peter is staying in Joppa with a tanner. A tanner is someone who would be considered unclean. Because he makes leather from dead animals. Leviticus 11, 24, and 28 instruct Jewish people, if they touch a dead animal, they're considered unclean, and then they have to go through a week of purification and become clean again. So Peter is staying with someone who's unclean, a leather tanner. This, is not, this would not be someone he would naturally do in Jerusalem, but he's now away. He's on the coast. There might not have been a lot of lodging options there. And he's staying at somebody's house who basically makes leather and clothes from dead animals. It's an unclean job. And God is about to do something. The theme that we see, what's so powerful for us, and I think our biblical takeaway is Every time God did something, it said many people believed in the Lord. There was never a wasted service. There was never a wasted healing. There was never a wasted opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. Every service here, 
every sermon, every Sunday school lesson is God speaking to you. You can always learn from someone else. Even if they have something bad, you can learn what not to do from them. God uses every opportunity to disciple us. And what we see here in the passage, we see these two men, Saul, who's becoming a disciple, and he's growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And we see Peter here, who God is bringing him through healing other people and through doing miracles and positioning him to do something great there in Joppa. Because the Gentile mission is about to start. And it's starting right there. What do we get from this passage? What does God have to say for us tonight? God wants us to know that these events are advancing the gospel. Many people believe in the Lord from what's happening. And for us, this new year, do you want to experience revival? Do you want the Lord to use you? Do you want 2020 to be the greatest year of your life spiritually? And the solution to that is to literally say, God, every conversation, every sermon, every lesson, every opportunity, God, I'm giving it to you. Lord, we give you this sermon. I thank you for bringing us here. I thank you for Sunday night church that we're able to come and see these incredible stories of how you discipled and you grew Saul. And Lord, you used Peter. God, we might not be able to raise someone from the dead, but we can pray for sick people. We can pray for those who are hurting. Lord, you want us to be actively engaged. Lord, for some of us, we might not be a Peter or a Saul, but we're a Barnabas. Lord, make me an encourager. Let people know when they walk away from me. That I, they have been lifted up and not pulled down. God, let this be the most encouraging church of people who bless other folks. Lord, our family is blessed. It's an honor to be at Broadway Baptist Church. Jesus, I pray this invitation is not just going through the motions. Lord, the wind blows. We do not know how the Spirit works. And I pray if there's anybody here that needs to make a decision or to trust in you, I pray they will do so tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close every service with the invitation. Gene King is going to lead us in our songs. So let's stand together. I'll be waiting down front for you to respond to the gospel.